Good morning, church. Open your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 2, please. It is always an honor for me to stand here and to share what God's put on my heart for this family. But it's always an especial, especially important honor for me that if you're visiting with us, we make you aware that we are thrilled that you're here, that you are one of our honored guests. Um, and if you're a visitor this morning and, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if that could be true, you're even more of a special guest to us. Because you're looking at hundreds of satisfied customers of living a life with Christ. And we would love to have the opportunity for both uh, to show you in our lives what it's like to walk with him, but also, uh, as we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, to tell you about what that means to us. And I, I mentioned that right up front because we're in a series that you walked into called Search and Rescue. And if you don't have a relationship with Christ, it really is you that we're talking about today. And I know that can be a little bit awkward, so I thought, well, let's just talk about the, the elephant in the room a little bit right up front in case that gets awkward a little bit later. But there's a reason for that, is we want to get better at sharing our lives with you. We, we're hearing from Christ that, that not only did he come into the world to save people who were far from God, um, he sent us to do exactly the same thing. And so we're spending some time in-house talking about that, and I just wanted you to know about that up front, because... There have been times, maybe you've witnessed it, but we certainly have, that there have been people who've talked to other folks about Christ in kind of a, there's no way to say it any other way, weird way, an obnoxious way, sometimes even a judgmental, rude way, all in the name of evangelism or being evangelistic. And we want to do the best that we can to avoid that. And so we're talking in-house today and reminding each other Jesus still expects us to be visual witnesses, yes, to the fact that he came and it matters, but also to be verbal witnesses to the fact that he came and that it matters. So last week we looked at why. We're talking about how we share our faith with others, but, but why should we do that? And this week we're talking about the how and the what of sharing that faith. And before we go a step further, I want to stop and pray for Holy Ghost Lutheran Church, all right? Father, we do this every week because we, we realize that there are others in this community who are desperately in love with you and who want so much to share that love with those who would just give them a moment to experience it or even to hear about it. And so we lift up the Holy Ghost Lutheran Church and the disciples that you have there that you're using to take the good news about your son to the world. Encourage them today. Give them hope today. Strength today to be able to go and do what we hope, and that is to let this world know how much you mean to us. For we ask us humbly in Christ's name, and everyone said. So how do you go about sharing the good news of Christ? How do you go about sharing what God's doing in your life? Well, I had one example of that dropped in my lap Friday morning. A group of guys met at Starbucks for our second meeting to prepare for the upcoming men's retreat. And just before we started, Marsha Tope, one of Ron Shade's Starbucks buddies, came up to me and said, Jimmy, when you've got a minute, I've got something I want to share with you. It doesn't have to be today, and only when you've got time. Well, I had time. We finished quicker with the meeting than I'd expected, and so I went over and sat down with her. She's a Christian widow in her 60s, as you can see, but just a delight to talk to. She said, I'm not normally here on Fridays, 
But this morning, I sensed the Lord just wanted me to come today. And when I saw you, I knew at least in part you were part of the reason why he sent me. I said, well, I'm all ears. She said, you knew my husband and I were living in Montana before we moved here to start an outreach in Bandera to the hospitals in the area here. And they did. They have special costumes that they wore. They even had a ventriloquist act that they performed to bless kids who were experiencing a lengthy stay in the hospital. She said, well, we, we went through some tough times with some medical bills. You may even know this before we launched that ministry. They were severe enough that they emptied what was a rather nice retirement nesting. And I don't mind telling you, my husband and I were not only poorer for it, but we were frustrated with God over it. The problems developed almost immediately after we decided to pick up from a place that we loved in Montana and to head to a place that we barely knew, but to be a part of a ministry we think God was calling us to. She said, you know that part of the story. And I said, I do. But what you don't know, Jimmy, is that shortly before we came here, we experienced a three-foot snow in the spring that melted fairly quickly. The ground was a sea of mud after it melted, and it was nearly impossible to navigate on foot. And I tell you all that because I hadn't been out to my prayer bench that my husband had built for me, about 100 yards away from the house, but over, overlooking this incredibly scenic view. I hadn't been out there in almost a week because the mud had just become unable to navigate. But it finally uh, dried up enough that I could get out there, and so I went out. And I found a brand new piece of puzzle. It was just lying there on the ground. She said, Jimmy, we don't own a puzzle <laughs> anywhere in our house. Hadn't had company for weeks. We are miles from the nearest neighbor. I have no idea where that puzzle piece came from, and it was in pristine shape. I'm telling you, it looked like it was brand new out of the box. Just one piece laying there on the ground. How it got there, I don't have a clue, she said. And how it survived the snow and the moisture in pristine shape, I don't have a clue. Marcia said, I was just being quiet, taking in all the majesty all around me, holding on to that piece of puzzle that I'd found when I heard God speak to my heart. Not in an audible voice, but he spoke to my heart anyway. He said, Marcia, you humans think you can see the big picture of life when you can't. Each day is just one piece of the puzzle. Your lives are just one piece of a larger puzzle. So trust me to know where you fit, where you belong, and trust me to know how to take care of each piece of that puzzle. Even when the unexpected storms come that should destroy it. Marcia said, I have carried that piece of puzzle with me for years until last year. I shared that story with a woman here at Starbucks. And unbeknownst to me, this lady went online and she searched for a pendant that resembled a piece of puzzle. And she gave it to me this last Christmas. She said, I wear it all the time. And you wouldn't believe how many people have asked about my puzzle piece necklace, giving me the chance to tell my story behind it and about our amazing God who helps me write it. She said, too many times in my life I've tried to share my faith with others, and sometimes, to be honest, I've done more harm than good because of the way that I tried to share it. She said, sometimes in my life I've actually tried to force the gospel on other people and it just never works. But now God has provided me a way to do that in a little bit more natural way and at least a little bit easier way for me to share 
And from what I can tell, it's been much more effective. When she'd finished, she said, Now, I know why God got me here today. I told her, I said, You're not going to believe what we've been teaching about at our church the last month. I told her about search and rescue and the series where we're trying to, to hear Jesus call us to share our stories about what he's done in our lives more often, maybe even for the first time. And I told her about particularly this message that was still in formation about how to share our faith with others and about what that content would look like. And so we talked a little bit about this message, and then I said, do you mind if I share with our church your story? She said, sure. That was amazing to me. Still is amazing to me. But even if it's not for you, I still want to ask the question, how do you tell others? How do you tell others about how incredible God the Savior has been in your life that's unique to you because God has not called all of us to share the difference Jesus makes in a human being's life in exactly the same way it may be connected to a puzzle piece that you wear around your neck for Gail and I it's often attached to speaking to a couple that's in the middle of marriage difficulty for some of you, it comes up whenever maybe there's an injury or a sickness that you've experienced that God's led you through and what he's taught you in that, that you're sharing with someone who's in the exact same sickness or has experienced the same injury. Or it may come when you're on a fishing trip with your buddies and one of them sees you empty your pockets in the RV and there's a cross in the change. And he says, you don't believe that God myth, do you? And through the awkwardness, you speak of a time when you thought it was a myth too. And how God changed your mind about all of that and how he's making a difference in your life now. Sister, how we share the impact of Jesus and he's made in our lives is as different as there are different people in this room. And my, I'm looking around and y'all look different. But not more different than the one talking to you. So let me ask you this, church. If I were to ask you this morning, what does the word evangelist mean? Or evangelistic mean to you? Do you see an evangelist? What do you see when you see that? A guy with a shiny suit and maybe big poofy hair with a Bible the size of a concrete block. And everything that he says sounds like it weighs 50 pounds. You need to hear the word of the Lord. For some of you, that's the image that comes up to your mind. And you're thinking, I, I, I could never, be, and I don't want to be that. Well, you don't have to be. Not to be on God's search and rescue team. Jesus said, I've come to seek and save the lost. And we all know he did so in a manner impossible to duplicate. Not in the way that he did it. His was unique. And yet... He still calls every single one of us to join him, to co-mission with him in taking his message to everyone, to be a part of his search and rescue team, to try and seek and save those who are lost. 
in how God wants to lead them in the life he's had dreamed for them since the beginning of time. And to equip them to be able to face the end of their life when without the blood of Christ, that life is going to be destroyed. God has many different ways of telling his story that fit our personalities in its own unique style. Here's one. Let's call it the Peter's confrontational style. And I call it that because Peter was a get-in-your-face kind of guy, wasn't he? He would just speak what was on his mind. And so he was the perfect choice for the opening day sermon of the church delivered to the very people who had crucified his Lord. In Acts 2, he says, men and women of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you through miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on a cross. But God raised him, brought him back to life, and we are all witnesses of that. Therefore, let all of Israel know and be assured of this, that God made this same Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Wow! That would take some courage to say. That would take some boldness to say, but that's who Peter was, a ready, aim, fire kind of guy. Now maybe that resonates with your spirit. And you know what? That's okay. We need folks with that kind of spirit to look into some tough situations and to speak boldly and courageously what God would want for that situation. But that's not everybody's bent. But if it's yours, yay God. That's the Peter confrontational style. God's shaped you to be able to use that. Some of us are more of the intellectual camp. Paul operated in this camp. He was an educated, scholarly rabbi, and God used him to argue some of the most complicated questions of his day. As a matter of fact, in Acts 17, he's in Athens, and he's, he's standing before some of the most intelligent, well-educated people in the entire city. And he said, you know, I've been walking around and I've looked carefully at your object of worship, and I even found an altar with an inscription to an unknown God. Well, you worship something you don't know. But I'm going to talk to you about and proclaim to you who that God is that I know. And he did. Wow, that takes courage. That takes intelligence. And every generation needs apologetics and those who can do apologetics well. And we have them in our generation. Ravi Zacharias, if you ever wanted to Google that and see some of the things he teaches and how he engages on college campuses everywhere, the most intelligent we have in our country and how he defends the faith with intelligence and scripture. Or you can go and look at some of the stuff Lee Strobel has done or Tim Keller has done. We've shown one of his series here because although we may not be able to move in those circles, we'd like to know some of that information. These are all men who have more intelligence in their little finger than I have in my whole body. And yet you've got to have folks like that in every generation who can, who can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the most intelligent agnostics and atheists of any generation. And we have them. And I love it because we... We just don't believe the things that we believe naively. We just don't. There's credibility. And there's evidence for everything that we say that we believe. 
God has provided great evidence for all of those answers. And if you've got a lawyer spirit that likes to engage that way, he has wired you to do so. Don't be something different. Then there's the Levi approach. I love this one. Levi was a tax collector for the Romans. He wasn't exactly the church-going type. But Jesus finds this guy, calls this guy, changes this guy's life. And out of his great enthusiasm for what he's done in his life, the Dr. Luke in chapter 5 says, he decides to throw a huge party for Jesus and get some of his non-following Jesus friends to come and meet this guy. But he warns the Lord right up front. He said, look, you bring your disciples, but you guys are going to hear some words that are spoken that you probably not have heard a long time in church. Or it's been some time since you've heard those things. And you're going to meet some women who aren't wearing exactly their Sabbath go to best meeting clothes. All right? But you bring your disciples and we'll have a great time. And so they came. That's a wonderful way to evangelize. Because some of you can throw a great party. You just need to think more intentionally about throwing some parties, mixing in some folks who are close to God with those who are far from God. And let Jesus do what he does best, bring life to people. Number four, this is a great way, the invitational method. This comes from the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, the lady who came in the middle of the day when she's kind of ostracized because of the marriages she's been involved with, the men that she's involved with now, and she's there, she's filling her water jug, and Jesus meets her there and talks with her there, which was astonishing in the first place, and tells her everything that she had going on in her life and how he could make it better. And it so grabs her heart, she leaves the water jug she came out to fill, runs back into town, and she says, you have got to come and meet a man who's told me everything about my life. I think he's the Christ. This is the third week that I want to mention the statistic that George Barna, one of the preeminent surveyors in America, shares. He says, of those who are not presently attending church, which number about 45 million people, those people would come next Sunday if they were just invited. I'm sorry, the number of those not attending church is about 190 people, but 45 million would come if somebody just asked them to. Now, I love last week after services were over, a couple of you found me, and you said, I want you to meet someone that, that was next door to us, and we, we invited them to come and be with us, and I got a text from someone this week that said, I'm bringing someone from my office, and, and that, that approach connects with you. You're very invitational. You don't mind inviting people. Do that. That's the way God wired you. It's probably one of the easier ones we could all grow into. But then there's a Tabitha approach. And this is probably the most comfortable approach to those of you here in this room. It's an amazing approach, though. In Acts chapter 9, we hear about this sister in Joppa who was always doing good and helping the poor. And this fits some of you because you witness for Jesus more with your deeds than you do any declaration of your faith. So you make it a point to go out of your way to give cups of cold water to people, hoping some way, somehow, that you could get some living water into their lives as well. Well, that's how God's going to use you to touch others. Live in that style. Never apologize for it. But here's my favorite. This is the one that fits me probably best of all the approaches. It's the one found in John chapter 9. It's a blind man approach. Partially because without contacts and glasses, I am blind, all right? No, it's not so much about what I see with my eyes. 
But it's about what God's done with the eyes of my heart. And I'll tell you more about that in a minute. But we, we meet a man here in John chapter 9 who couldn't see from the time that he was born blind. But from the time that he was born. And Jesus comes and he touches this man's eyes and all of a sudden he can see. And I mean he's just going nuts about this and his family's not knowing what to do with this. Because the one who's touched his eyes and healed him is this radical rabbi that a lot of Jews don't know what to do with. And some of the teachers of the law come to this man and say, you don't think he's the Messiah, do you? This man's a sinner. And he says, I don't know whether he's a sinner or whether he's a saint. But here's what I know. I was blind. And now I see. I think this is one that can be practiced by nearly all of us if we give it a chance. And here's why. Because, brother, every day Jesus is on trial in the world that you live in. Every day the question is asked, sometimes out loud, but most of the time just quietly. <laughs> Who in the world is this Jesus and what does it matter? And the Holy Spirit is a defense attorney and he's calling witnesses to give their account of what he means in the world. And he'd like to use you. You say, well, Jimmy, what does a witness do? It's just as simple. You speak of what you see and what you know. That's it. You don't have to handle all the complexities of life when you're called to the witness stand in any trial anywhere. And neither are you called to do that here. You just simply speak of what you see and what you know about this incredible Christ. In Colossians chapter 4, Paul encourages all of us who are Jesus followers, be wise to the ways of the outsiders and to make the most of every opportunity you have with them. And so I want to say again to all of you who've been a part of this series, and maybe this is your first time dropping in, could the Spirit be calling you to get ready today, maybe this next week, for an opportunity you're going to have to be able to just simply be a witness not, not a great debater, uh, not a great scholar about all the complexities of, of the Bible. Heavenly days, I'm not. I, I can barely explain, if at all, the Trinity. I can barely explain, if at all, how God is past, future, and present, all at the same time. How, can, how do you explain uh, the way that the world is going to end through this book of Revelation that he's given us, if you're looking for that to be specifics about how it's all... I don't know. But for this young man, there was a moment in my life when I was blind. And Jesus helped me to see. He helped me to see. I don't know when those opportunities are going to come up for you, but sometimes they just come out of the blue. And so that's why it's important that you be prepared before they come. Oral Hershiser was... Some of you may know who he is. Some of you may not. He is a World Series winner. One of the best, I think one of the top 50, maybe even better than that, top 10 um, pitchers ever in the game of baseball. I do know this for sure. He was an MVP winner of the World Series that his team won. He was an MVP of the entire baseball league that he was a part of. He's a Hall of Famer, and he still holds the record for the most consecutive scoreless innings pitched, 59 in a row. Because of all that, Johnny Carson asked him on his show after the Dodgers had won the World Series, and Carson asked him, 
He said in pressure-packed situations and the game is on the line, where every pitch makes a difference, how in the world, out there in front of millions of people, do you stay calm? And Oral said this. He said, I sing songs to myself. Carson was intrigued and he said, really? Could you give us an example of it? Could you tell us about a song that you sing in a tight moment of a big game? And Oral Hershiser said, okay. And right there on national television in front of millions of people, he sang a song that many of you grew up singing all of your life. Not so much anymore. But it's a powerful song called simply the doxology. Sing it with me if you know, all right? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. He's saying that right there, sitting next to Johnny Carson in front of millions of people. On the spur of a moment. A cappella. Carson was so moved by what he had done, what he had heard, on his 27th anniversary show to wrap up Carson's career, he put that as the very last clip for the whole world to see in the show. That's how it ended. Now, most likely your moments to witness aren't going to be on national television. And most of us are thrilled about that. But they will come while Jesus is on trial in the world every single day. And someone's life is going to be listening and someone's life is going to be watching as to whether or not you really believe Jesus came and it matters. Because they tend to hear from us what matters, don't they? Movies, songs, shows that we've seen. I don't want to miss this. Or possibly... Be vague about it at all. But I want you to hear this. God's calling you to be one of those witnesses. Yes, to live a visual life that shows people Christ, but to also be a verbal witness that tells them why. Is that really important, Jim? Well, maybe to underscore its significance. In the book of Acts... God chose to include three times, not once, not twice, but three times, the same testimony from the same guy. I mean, that's a limited couple of pages and letters and all that goes with it. And God chose, chooses in Acts to include Paul's testimony three different times in that book. And I think to underscore why our story is so significant in his story. Three times Paul says, let me tell you about what I was like before I met Christ. Let me tell you about what it was like the day I met him. And let me tell you how that changed my life. That's the what that God's calling you to share. The how's going to vary. There's all different types of styles. There's all different types of ways to do that. But that's the what that God's calling all of us to be able to simply share with someone. See, the offer's the same. Faith in Jesus Christ. But how that's lived out in you matters. Can I share with you in three minutes my testimony? Before I met Jesus Christ, I was living in the midst of a dysfunctional family. And to be honest, I didn't believe I mattered much. 
We were a blended family. His kids, her kids, and our kids. My dad wasn't at home much because he was away at work. And with six kids, money was scarce and so was attention. I had very little self-confidence and found myself at times actually pinching myself. This is embarrassing to say, but actually pinching myself to wake up from a bad dream of a life I thought I'd fallen asleep in. My fifth grade Bible class taught by a man by the name of Ray Hughes. He sold Folgers Coffee. He told me about a forever friend who just so happened to be the Savior of the world. And I wanted it on that. He told me I mattered enough that God would allow his only son to die for me and that whoever would believe in him would never have to be without someone who loved him and be a part of a forever family. I said, where do I sign? I put my trust in Jesus Christ being the Savior of the world and I demonstrated that trust by being baptized. And a couple of days later, not fully understanding that I was forgiven, I was forgiven. And I was talking to a kid at school about what I experienced. I wasn't, yet to tell, I wasn't ready yet capable of telling him about the Holy Spirit. Didn't really know much about him. But believed that God had somehow moved inside me to give me a gift to try to live the life that he is calling me to live. But I told him about how wonderful it felt to have all of my sins forgiven. And how cool it felt to be a part of a forever family. That's... But what my life was like before Jesus, that's how I met Jesus. And here's the third part of that. Here's the difference that he makes in my life. It's huge. It was because of him and the church that I made it through the tragic death of my brother when he was killed in a car accident. It was through Jesus and his church that I met my wife. And I found my vocation in the world. It was because of him when I tried to destroy that marriage that he and his church wouldn't let me. He taught me how to be a husband, a father, a friend. He's provided every financial and physical and relational and emotional need I've ever had. Not wants, but needs. And he gives me both joy and hope every single day of my life. And I don't know how anybody makes it in this world without it. You can time that. It's less than three minutes. And that came about because someone like me stood in a place like this and challenged me 15 years ago, would you come up with what your life was like before you met Jesus, how you met him, and what that's meant? And learn to do it in under three minutes. Very rarely I was told then, and I've, I've experienced that since then, are you going to be able to share the whole thing, but you'll be able to share bits and pieces of it if you've just prepared to do it. And so I'm asking you, would you prepare with me? Would you prepare with me? Would you, if you haven't already, write down what my life was like before Jesus. It takes about an hour. How I met Jesus and how Jesus is changing your life. I'm asking everyone in my family to be a part of the search and rescue team by doing that. And I'm offering, if you'd like for me to look at it and help you with it, maybe look and see if there's some religious easy terms in there that maybe need to be taken out. I'll be, just email them to my office and I'll be glad to look at those. Paul, inspired by the Spirit, says this. Followers of Jesus everywhere, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. But always be prepared to give an answer to anybody who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you've got. But do this, when you do, with gentleness and respect. Friend, if you're asking God to provide 
opportunities for you to be able to do that. I'm curious, don't you think he would? I'm asking more because that's where this series has impacted my heart and my life. I felt like I was too busy to do that and do it well. And in the last week, he's given me two opportunities to do that. God was working in a man's life to create someone who could share Jesus with the world who had a nightmarish problem. He was a schizophrenic, out-of-his-mind, demon-possessed dude that didn't even live in a house. He lived in a cemetery. And Jesus steps into his life and heals him. No wonder he asked, can I just go with you? Can you imagine the, the wake of someone living in a town like Kerrville with that type of reputation? Can you imagine the wake, the, the people that he had hurt and the, and the relationships that had been burned or whatever, the, the places he had torn up because of it? Don't you, can you understand why he'd want to go with Jesus away from there? Here's what Jesus said. I need for you to go home and tell how much God's done for you. If Jesus could do that with this man, what could he do with you? I know it can be awkward, but your first kiss was awkward. It didn't stop you from doing that. <laughs> I know it can be awkward, but your first date was awkward. And for most of you, it didn't stop you from doing that. Nor for trying to get an employment somewhere or your awkward first day there. Awkward does not mean you can't. It just simply means you need help. And that's why God gives us the comforter. That's why he gives us the Holy Spirit. Why in the world would you need a comforter if you're always comfortable? A few years ago, there was a commercial on television. We'll close with this. Some of you will remember it. It was by Mercedes-Benz. It started with a very expensive sedan being driven straight into a concrete wall. The front of the car was absolutely crumbled, but the amazing thing was the section of the car where the passenger and the driver's seat were was unchanged. Mercedes was advertising their energy-absorbing car body. And the amazing thing was they didn't patent that discovery. They gave that technology to all of their competitors so they could use it too. And at the very end of the commercial, they told why. When they had an interviewer say, why in the world would you do this? Why would you give this technology to all of your competitors the owner of the company responded by saying, because some things are too important not to share. Friend, your story is too important not to share. Why the rescue gear? For the last time I'll say this is why, because there are those that you're going to meet today and tomorrow and next week who need rescuing. I don't say that. Jesus has said that, and that's why he came to seek and save the lost, and that's why he's commissioned with us to do the same. I can't live in crisis mode. So that's an illustration for me that's just awakened an awareness of how incredibly important this mission is. But we've also looked at two metaphors. You've seen these, the farming and the fishing metaphors. 
Those are the ones that you can live with every single day. You can plant service in people's lives. You can plant the seed of what God's done in your life into someone else's life. You can do that, and you can make sure they're exposed to all the sun in the world that will bring growth. You can fish for men. You can. You can go where the fish are. We can put our nets in the water, not let somebody else do that, but put our nets. And then with Jesus in the boat, we can expect, we can anticipate great things happening when we fish for him. That was his mission. We're doing everything we can to make it our focus. Now, if you walked in here today and you aren't a follower of Jesus Christ, you've heard the gospel, you've heard the good news, you've heard my story. And if you want to have that make it your story, just do what I did when I was in the fifth grade and 11 years old. Walk down to the front and say, you know, I'm, I don't want to take another step trying to live this life on my own. I want that person as my best friend, and I want a family that's going to last forever. And can we get started now? And we will do that today. We'll take you back here, get you some clothes that you can be baptized in, and then right, you will attend the only funeral that ever matters in your life. Symbolically, we're not going to kill you. But we will put you underneath some water to symbolize and to connect you mysteriously with the death of Christ. And then we will raise you up. And as that water rushes off of you, so will all the sins that you have in the world now and forever. And then his spirit moves inside you in a moment. And like it or not, we're your family. <laughs> we are. And millions of others like us. And we will help you do this life together if you'll let us. And that can start right now. And if you're here, my brother or sister, and you need someone to put their arms around you and pray about maybe some folks in your life you need to invite, you need to go serve, you need to confront whatever the Spirit's stirring in you to go do so that they can be rescued, we'd love to help you with that. Or we're going to sing this song so that can happen. Let's stay in church and let's sing.